0: This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, March 12, 2017 at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Sam Ford. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Genesis 42, I'm going to go through different chunks of it. Uh, I'll actually hit the back half of it next week, but I'm going to begin with the first five verses in the continuing story of Joseph. Verse 42, I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse 1 says this, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. And so ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. And thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And this is the first part of God's Word that we'll deal with. In Genesis 41, where we were last week, in the continuing story of Joseph, who is one of the sons of Jacob mentioned here, he has become the most powerful political and really spiritual leader in the world under Pharaoh who was leading the greatest nation in the world at the time. And as he foretold through interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he said there will be seven years of fruitfulness, which has happened. And during that time, he collected all the food and put it in storehouses in different cities throughout Egypt, preparing for the seven years of famine that was foretold would follow those seven years of plenty. And those have begun. And the entire world... And that means the known world is suffering under this famine, but Joseph's leadership, because of his leadership, Egypt is not suffering. They are the one place, one nation that is prepared. And interestingly, God has positioned the powerful, pagan, polytheistic nation of Egypt in a position to serve as Savior of the world. And it should be interesting as you imagine Moses writing this down and Israel hearing it perhaps the first time in a long time having just been freed from Egypt because they were enslaved and being brutally treated to learn that God at one point used that same nation to save the world. Again, it gives us insight into how God works in some of the most darkest and evilest of things. But, at this point, as the famine's in the world, back in Canaan, they are also suffering. Jacob and his sons and their wives and their children are also suffering like the rest of the world and they are starving. The famine has reached Canaan and the future of God's people is threatened and God's people are the ones who've been given promises to bless the world. So God's promises, in some sense, are seemingly threatened. Apparently, Jacob is pretty frustrated with his 10 older boys. And these aren't boys as much as men. Joseph was 17 and he was uh, just a little bit older than Benjamin. Benjamin is much younger, obviously, but he's the youngest. And these are young men with families and they have done nothing. He seems frustrated that they seem to lack motivation in solving the problem because he begins by saying, Why are you guys standing there and looking at each other doing nothing about this? He says, I've heard in Egypt they got lots of grain. Why don't you guys get off your rears and go down there and get some food for our families because this is a matter of life and death. This is not just some good advice. This is... Not just some or a proposal. This is a matter of life and death. If you guys don't do this, we're going to die. That's how dire the situation is. And Jacob may not realize this, but he is certainly correct practically speaking. If they don't get grain, they don't get food, their families are going to die. But he is also correct spiritually. If they don't get down to Egypt, they will not be saved. And it gives us just a little snapshot into pain. And that is, if we don't rightly respond to pain, we will not be saved. If they don't rightly respond to this pain point that they're experiencing, they will not experience salvation. Because there is a wrong and a right way to respond to pain. And usually we try to do everything to get away from it as opposed to pressing into it, which is what they're going to be asked to do. Because the story of Joseph and the story of his brothers is the story of this big word called reconciliation of which we probably all believe we know the meaning of. This is certainly a short story. A real, true, historical story about a man and his family, but it is portraying for us, it is pointing to a much larger story about the family of God. Genesis 42 marks the beginning of the reconciliation of a relationship that was ruined by sin. What is is reconciliation? What do we mean by that? Well, as we saw many chapters ago with Joseph and his brothers, a relationship was ruined. And there are two things that, that make reconciliation necessary and likely will make it necessary in your life at some point if it hasn't already. Only two things need to be there in order for you to have the potential of reconciliation. That is people and sin. So if you're ever around people and sin, you're probably going to have to deal with reconciliation at some point. Okay, And some of you have probably already dealt with it. Maybe not in this way. We'll see. But even if you never end up throwing your friend or your spouse or someone you know in a pit and they end up in prison and all these terrible experiences, likely what will happen is that you will have a fight. You'll have an argument. You'll have a disagreement. One of you will make a horrible decision of some kind and it will ruin a good relationship. Given enough time, every relationship will be attacked, even ruined, hurt by sin. Whether it be relationship with your spouse, relationship with a friend, relationship with a co-worker, relationship with your children. What was once enjoyable will become strained, even awkward, perhaps broken. Friends who were once close become strangers and if you're not careful, sometimes those strangers can become enemies, even if you're still married, even if you're in the same family, even if you're neighbors. This kind of brokenness can only be reversed by God-governed reconciliation. Reconciliation is simply the restoration of relationships. And to be reconciled is to be fully restored. Restored in friendship, restored in harmony, and restored in love. But I will argue that it's not restored back to what was. It's actually restored to something that's better. That's really important. Because it's going to give you insight into some of the deepest things that we experience. Like, why did God allow this relationship to get broken? It'll give us insight into some of the deepest questions like, why would he have ever put a tree in the garden and allow men to fall? I'm going to argue and just put it on the shelf for a second, that it was for a better relationship, a greater relationship that wouldn't have been possible had brokenness not come in. I know that's hard to believe. But when you read Ephesians 1 and God says that his plan included grace, That means his plan is including and planning for sin. Oh, that was too big. That was deep. Okay, put that on the shelf. We'll come back to it. The process, though, of reconciliation as we talk about people requires two different things. One from each kind of part in the relationship, right? One person is going to have to show humility and one's going to have to show grace. One is going to have to confess the hurt that they've committed and the other is going to have to forgive the hurt that is committed against them. And guess what? Both are really hard and we struggle with both of them. But we can learn a lot about relationships through the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers in this text, and we do. Practically speaking, sometimes we're going to be the offended, sometimes we're going to be the offender. But we can learn those things. But here's what we have to learn. We have to learn, what we must learn from this text is about a relationship with God. And here's something just to kind of sit in your head a little bit. In terms of a relationship with God, we, you, me, we alone, Make reconciliation necessary. We do that. Translated, we ruin the relationship with God. So we alone make reconciliation necessary, but God alone makes reconciliation possible. Okay? That's what we're going to see the story of Joseph. Let's see how it goes. As I said, as you read the text, it takes two to tango as we're talking about earthly relationships. Humanly speaking, both parties are usually pretty reluctant to do the hard work. One will typically declare, I can't possibly forgive. That hurt too much. That was too painful. Thirteen years! I can't possibly forgive that. No way. Too far. The other will typically say, There's no way I'm gonna admit I was wrong. There's no way I'm gonna say that I messed up. You know what happened if I let that out? If I tell people what I've done? So those that's the struggle. One or the other. Joseph's brothers represent the latter. They don't dare say what they've done. They don't dare confess what they've done. They've likely heard the same news their father did. It's not like, oh, really, Dad? Egypt has food? I didn't know. Everyone likely knows this. He's wondering, why, why haven't you guys suggested this solution? Maybe they've suggested other ones. Maybe they were looking for something like a more an easier way to deal with it than going 250 miles to the capital of Egypt. But whatever reason they have, I think what is certain is that they are willing to endure a lot of pain and delay what they know they need to do because they do not want to go to Egypt. The ten brothers do not want to go to Egypt. And why? Why wouldn't they ever want to go to Egypt? Well, Egypt is where Joseph was sent 13 years ago. And they know that full well. Egypt is where they made their greatest mistake. Egypt is where they've hidden their sin. Egypt is that place in the past that they want to forget and they don't want to face. Can we just move on? And God is saying, no, I'm going to make you face what you have not confessed. But what you see in these guys is something that blows our mind, but it shouldn't really because we're guilty of the exact same thing fear of being exposed. like The fear of being known for what they are, for what they've done is greater than the fear of death for them. And if you've ever had a sin, maybe you have one now, I don't dare let this out. I would rather die than let people know what I've done. I'd rather die than tell my spouse what I've done. You're there. And it's familiar. They would literally die before they confess their sin. But God has saved Joseph, and now He's going to save the rest of His family through reconciling this relationship and through forcing them to deal with it. But to be fully restored, Joseph's brothers are going to have to come face to face with Joseph and their sin. But in order to bring them all together, what does he do? He brings a global famine. A global, something pretty horrible. Pretty painful. He creates an environment that hurts. So much so, they are pushed to pursue or at least find reconciliation. An environment is created that they never would have chosen which makes reconciliation even possible. He literally empties the stomachs of the people, all people, so that He can ultimately fill their hearts up. And the famine can represent really any hardship in our life. For His brothers, it is that thing that takes them a step toward the person they need to reconcile with. Essentially, God forces them, pushes them, shoves them into their past to deal with unconfessed sin so that they can be saved. And you should ask yourself, this is something that that I just kind of pondered. We should consider those with whom we have broken relationships with whose salvation is at risk. And what I mean is, how many of us because we're so against reconciling or doing the hard work or actually becoming a speed bump to that person's salvation. Hindering it. The truth is, when you have physical or emotional pain, that's often the catalyst for spiritual reconciliation. You don't believe me? Well, I've experienced it. Maybe you have. Yes cats out of the bag. There are broken relationships in my life. That has happened before. If you're human, that's going to happen. I remember one in particular that was very difficult. And it was so difficult that, and we've reconciled, but I'll come back. But before there was reconciliation, and this wasn't like I had done, here's the 17 things I've done, here's the 17 things that you've done. It was just broken. It broke. And so whenever I thought of this individual, I'd get a pit in my stomach. And if you can think of a person like that, if you have someone in your life, whether they are really close to you, whether they're in your family, or, or someone in your past, and you think of them, and you go, oh. If you can imagine them walking into Starbucks when you're there, and what do you feel? When I used to think about this person and, and imagine them, and I would almost watch for them to walk into Starbucks... I would think of my escape plan. Because I wanted to avoid them. Right? Oh, there they are. out of here. Because I want to deal with it. And you know what? That emotional pit, that emotional pain, was, I believe, God's way of pushing me to reconcile, to relieve that pain. The pain of famine, in this case, humbles them enough to seek relief. Pain is not the enemy. We always look at pain as being this horrible thing and because it hurts. But there's a goodness to pain. Sometimes pain actually restrains us from what we shouldn't do. Right? It hurts. Go no further. But other times, pain actually compels us towards what we should. C.S. Lewis is famously said that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, God desires us to be reconciled with one another, and He is even more devoted to being reconciled with Him. And in order to get that to a place where it's possible, he'll often need to wake us up through pain and make us desperate for rescue. And then we're ready. That's what he does with these boys. Continue in verse 6. It says this, as they come into Egypt, it says, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them and he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, no, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. We're honest men Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land you have come to see. And they said, No, we're your servants. We're twelve brothers, sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with your father, and one is no more. What about Joseph's feeling at that moment? That's who they're talking about. One is no more, one's dead. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you're spies. And by this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether this is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So they arrive in Egypt. And they come before the man whom they will later call the man, the Lord of the lands. They don't recognize their brother Joseph. They know him only as Zephaneth Paniah. It's his Egyptian name. He's standing there with the translator. Joseph, on the other hand, recognizes his brothers immediately, but he doesn't reveal himself immediately. And we're left to wonder, what exactly is Joseph feeling right now? Is he angry? Does he hate them? Will he forgive them? What are his first thoughts? There's lots of things he could do here, right? He could just pretend it away because it's just not worth it. I'll just give them their food. Move on. But he does speak. And he sounds very angry. The Bible says that Joseph treats his brothers like strangers, speaking roughly to them through a translator, even though he speaks Hebrew, keeping up the ruse. Can we imagine, if we could just be just brutally honest for a second, how you would feel? How I would feel facing brothers who basically... Declared me dead without really blinking an eye, and put me in a pit where I've been sold into slavery, only to work in a house where I've been falsely accused, thrown in prison. It's been 13 years of pain. 13 years of pain that these guys are responsible for. After 13 years of living through that, I might want to hurt them. I didn't do anything, right? You guys deserve to be punished. Honest men? You guys are liars. You've been lying for 13 years. But in time, we learn that Joseph's not going to use his position to exact justice, which he certainly could. He's going to show mercy. But he's going to do just even more than that, which is, again, we must never forget that as we're reading the Scriptures, we don't want to get too stuck in the story and not remind ourselves of the larger story that's going on and being pointed to. So, Joseph is, is, is going to show mercy. We learn that eventually. He's not going to give them what they deserve. But instead of just forgiving them and going, you know what, guys? It's me, Joseph. I forgive you. Once you go back, here's your grain. Till dad, I said hi. Live long and prosper. Right? He doesn't say that. He goes beyond mercy and He's going he's to lift them. This is His plan. He's going to lift them from their lowly position. He's going to take them from this place of, of deprivation and starvation and He's going to bring them into the palace, into His home with Him. That's Grace. And for us to understand our relationship with God, the God that we serve, the God who could deservedly wipe us out because He is just and we are guilty. He doesn't just show mercy. He doesn't just say, hey, let's forgive, move on. He says, no, I'm going to bring you into my presence. I'm going to bring you up from that lowly state. I'm going to make you so much more though you don't deserve it so that we go... Wow, grace. Joseph is patient in allowing this to unfold. He knows that true God-governed reconciliation will demand that these guys go, and he does too, backwards before they go forward. You realize, I hope, that we cannot forgive and forget until we have remembered what needs to be forgiven. We cannot just forgive and forget until we've remembered what needs to be forgiven and acknowledge it. Joseph could offer forgiveness right now. He'd say, hey. But his brothers probably will not be ready to receive it, at least not in a way to deepen their relationship. And the reason they're not ready is because true reconciliation, in order for you to be reconciled with anybody, if you are the offended perhaps and there's an offender, in order to be reconciled, there has to be repentance. There has to be repentance. You can offer forgiveness so that you're not governed by bitterness, but if that person is not ready to receive your forgiveness, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's heartfelt, in a way that that represents or or signals that they've actually changed, there can be no reconciliation. There cannot be a restored relationship. See, he wants more than just a redo, Joseph. He wants more than just, just, let's just move on. He wants a fully restored relationship, fully intimate, in love, trusting, and he wants something greater Then what was? And it's amazing to imagine that brokenness had to come in for that to be possible. But that's exactly what we see. He wants something that is fully restored. And in order to be fully restored, they have to talk about the big, gigantic, humongous elephant in the room called sin. We can't just pretend it away. You can't manage it away It needs to be acknowledged, and it's to be acknowledged at a heart level. Joseph wants his brothers to confess their sin, but not so they can earn his love. Listen to this. This is so gospel rich. He doesn't want his brothers to earn his love, he wants them to be able to appreciate his grace. He doesn't need them to earn. He already loves them. They're cat's out of the bag. He loves them. But for them to grasp the depth of love, they need to come face to face with their sin. And at this point, they're not quite ready. So he interrogates them. Who are you? Why are you here? And again, you're like, because you're not really sure. We know the rest of the story, but if it's just at this point, you're like, hmm... Yeah, Joseph, go get him. Yeah, he's just start playing with him. Yeah, make him suffer a little bit. Just kind of poke him a little bit. And his brothers have come before him and they're bowing before him, answering their questions. We're, we're, not, we're not spies. We're just from the land. We need some food. And he's watching them bowed before him. And something happens he remembers something and if this verse was not in there you would be led to believe that Joseph is just messing with them but as they're bowed before him he remembers dreams that he had back what Genesis 37 the beginning of the whole thing right he had two dreams where his brother's bundles came and bowed for him and then the stars were bound before him and his brothers are like oh what are you gonna do rule over us What's Joseph like, what are you going to do, rule over the rule over us? rule over us? Oh my, and, he's, and he sees it. It's Like this is, this, it's happening. And what is he seeing, right? He's seeing God's Word come to pass. He's seeing God's promises come to fulfillment. Maybe this is the first time he's realized it. As faithful as he was, he's like, I'm just going to go, God. And now he's going, I'm seeing this whole picture. This is all making sense to me. And so we know as he begins to speak, as he begins to act, he is not just acting for himself. He's not just like, hmm, I'm going to mess with him. (laughs) He's like, okay, Lord. This is is your work. and I'm going to fear you. And he begins to do things that that seemingly are, are strange, but I think they're in accord with what God would have him do. He's going to help his brothers see their sin. He's not just going to help his brothers see their sin, he's going to help his brothers feel their sin and and experience the depth of their sin. And how does he do that? Well, he doesn't just speak roughly to them, he speaks very carefully to them. He says, you guys are spies. You go, that's kind of weird. And one commentator made a fabulous point. And he said, it's likely that Joseph is is having them reenact the entire experience that they had together. You remember when he was first sent to go seek out his brothers by dad go seek out your brothers right the favorite son he's got his cute little coat on he's like, beep, 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 like going to see him and the brothers see him coming and well they say oh here comes the dreamer who we're gonna bow to and what do you think they're thinking oh i know why he's coming you know what dad sent him here dad sent him here to spy on us and so you can imagine it's not difficult man 17 year old hey guys What's going on? Just making sure you're safe. No, you're not. You're here to spy on us for dad. We know what you're doing. You're here to tattle on us like you always do. You can just hear that. You can imagine that. And now, tables are turned. You guys are spies. No, 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 no. We're not spies. Joseph, you're a spy. I'm not a spy. I'm honest. And he was. They aren't. They're certainly not there to spy, but they are not honest men. God is making these brothers experience the same thing that Joseph experienced. To feel the same things that he felt. And I've learned that when, when there's broken relationships, like it would be awesome if we had like a repentance pill. Right? Like a broken relationship and you're like, hey, you know what? You really hurt me. No, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. You take this. Right? It's kind of like the truth serum of like the 50s, or whatever, like, and then they're like, you're right, I did sin against you. I'm sorry, please forgive. Like, that would be awesome. Doesn't exist, right? And so, like, how does someone get to the point where, where what they were so staunchly against sharing? Like, there's no way I'm gonna admit this. How do you get to that point? I don't know. It is an act of God, purely. Let me prove it to you, right? Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy. We'll look at it this summer. Here's what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, he says, speaking particularly to leaders and to pastors, but really any brother and sister. Says, the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. What? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may escape from the snare of the devil having been captured by him to do his will. That sounds exactly like Joseph's brothers who did all kinds of evil that was certainly aligned with the enemy. And God is going to be the one that grants them repentance. God is going to be the one that gets them to a place where their heart is softened. Joseph can't force them to be there, but reconciliation requires that repentance is there. And so as we look at restoring relationships, you know what we're doing most of the time? Praying, not arguing, not correcting unkindly, praying, but it does show us as we watch, how does Joseph get him to this point? The only thing he does, words. The mechanism for repentance is not our persuasive pleas, our forceful threats, it is our words insofar as they speak God's word. God's words spoken very plainly. Hard, biblical words spoken gently. True words spoken in love. Through hard, but good words. The boys call them rough words. God is working through Joseph to awaken the conscience of His brothers. And He is patient in doing so. Let's pick it up in verse 18 says this on the third day so they've been in some kind of custody joseph said to them do this and you will live for i fear god if you're honest men let one of your brothers remain confined we are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother that you supposedly have so your words will be verified i'll be able to trust that you're not spies your story is true and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, so, they're like, okay, we'll do this. Now imagine, they start speaking to one another. Joseph's standing right there. There's an Egyptian translator. He knows Hebrew, but they're speaking Hebrew, and the translator is speaking Hebrew to him, but Joseph knows. It's just all a ruse. says this, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we didn't listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. Now here comes the reckoning for our blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them When he turned away from them and wept, he returned to them and spoke to them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack, give him provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And then they loaded their donkeys and their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack and he said to his brothers, my money has been put back here. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. They turned trembling to one another saying what is this that God has done? So upon the release he speaks some words to him again. It's interesting to imagine what those three days was like for them in the Prison or pit. They were innocent, yet they were falsely accused. They're imprisoned, just like Joseph. Theirs was only three days, his was 13 years. And even though Joseph's brothers, as I said, are not spies, they are certainly not honest men. They have been lying for 13 years. And this is just the beginning of the reconciliation process. And what this shows us is that reconciliation, when a relationship is broken, It can actually be broken overnight. But it can't be restored overnight. It's a slow process. And that's typically one of the major reasons why we don't want to press into it. Not only do we either not want to forgive or not want to confess, sometimes we just don't want to do the hard work. Can we just fix it and be done? Nope. You can burn a house down really quick. Restoring it takes a long time. This is just the beginning. Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers is going to extend over the next four chapters, which represents months and months of work. It's a very long and painful process. Very slow. But that's what is required for the restoring of a relationship. You look at how long God took Like, Jesus didn't just show up at age 30. He lived for 30 years before He began to bring, if you will, to light the glories of the Gospel. It's a long process. But God is not slow. He's very deliberate. The first thing they are asked is like, well, leave one of your brothers here and go. The rest of you go, Find this brother you got, bring him back, and I won't kill you. So you think about, they're in a really kind of torn decision. Like, okay, so um, if we say no, we die. Uh, If we say yes and leave our brother here and go back and we don't come back, he dies. Uh, If we go back and just um, somehow go forward, like we may die over in being starved here. Like they're dying everywhere, right? We're going to die. But they agree, but my point is they're under stress because they're like, "This is we don't have any good path here. And it presses them to the point the pain hurts enough where they begin to confess in front of their brother not knowing it's their brother, we're guilty. We are guilty, guys. We hurt our brother. We sinned. Oh, they're getting closer. And Joseph hears this. And you wonder, he, he, you can imagine, right, sitting there, and he turns away. And this won't be the first time he does this. He turns away, he's kind of like, you know, getting the ugly face, weeping. Comes back. So, now that my makeup's all taken care of, because he's Egyptian, he probably had makeup all over himself, right? You're wondering, like, why is he crying? I don't mean like, hey, why are you crying? I mean like, really, why is he crying? What's what's he weeping over? I thought about that for a while. Like, what is he? Is he is he like, yes, finally, (laughs) finally, they're gonna suffer. I mean, is that what he's crying about? It doesn't tell us exactly why, but here's why I believe he's weeping. I believe he's weeping because he loves them. And he's watching them be humbled and broken. Have you ever seen that? That's the greatest miracle that I get to witness on a regular basis as a pastor. When someone comes face to face with their sin and they're genuinely contrite. I would argue there's nothing more powerful than that where you sit before and they just say, I was wrong. It's an amazing experience to watch God work in that way. But God's not done. You know the first thing that Jesus taught in the longest sermon He preached, Sermon on the Mount? Really difficult words in the first words. Hard to believe. But He said, blessed. So think about like happy, satisfied, right? Content, like deep contentment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, to be poor in spirit, not just poor. Poor in spirit means to have this disposition of of spiritual humility. Like those who are poor in spirit recognize and readily acknowledge how bad they are. Not in comparison to like other people, because we'll never get there if that's what we do. We can always find someone worse than us. But in the light of a holy God, in the light of perfection of Christ, like they realize, I I am impoverished. I'm bad. I'm worse than, I'm just bad. He says, Blessed, happy are those. The kingdom of God belongs to people who come face to face with their sin and recognize they have nothing, they are bankrupt. We don't believe that that's the place of happiness. That's why we don't confess our sins. But that's what Jesus says. Those who are proud in spirit don't think they need God. And so they never experience His grace. But those who are poor in spirit know they need grace and they receive it. But Joseph, even though he hears that, he's like, oh, they're not quite ready. You go, Why? Why? They seem like they're ready, right? They're ready. All right, guys, it's me, right? Makeup off, it's me. But he doesn't do that. He go, why? Why? Why doesn't he do that? What is? What does he have to see? What does he want? And here's what I believe he wants. If he were to say, "I, I forgive you guys. It's me. Ta-da! I'm here." I think that they would be ready to bow before Joseph, but they would not be ready to bow before God. What I mean is that they would be like, Joseph, you're amazing. Joseph, your benevolence is unbelievable. Joseph, 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 Joseph. It's not about Joseph. It's about God. Joseph knows that. And he wants his brothers to see, do you see what God did? And they get to that point, right? They leave. The money's in the sack and Fear overcomes them, and for the first time in the entire story of Joseph, the brothers talk about God. They never mentioned His name. And now it's like, look what, look what they did. Look at what the Egyptians did to us. Did you do it? No, they say, look what God has done. They don't yet see it as a good thing. They see it as a bad thing but is intended as a good thing. Now, as I bring this to a close, I want us to understand and remember that the story of Joseph and his brothers, yes, is a story of reconciliation, and it's about a family and a guy that really lived and really you went through this process, but it really is portraying the story about the family of God. The story. See, Genesis 42 marks the beginning of the reconciliation for Joseph and his brothers, but but our story began back in Genesis 3, which is this part of. And in that story, in the bigger story, our relationship with God was ruined. And it was ruined by our sin. And the great story of the universe the big narrative that encompasses every person whether they want to believe it or not is a story of reconciliation between the Creator and His creation. That's what everything is all about. And although at times we're going to be the offender and at times we're going to be offended, if we look at the story through the lens of God's story, we are not faithful Joseph in the story. We are unfaithful Joseph. Brothers, Joseph is the one who's innocent. Joseph is the one in power. Joseph has the right to kill and punish or the power to show mercy and grace. The brothers have contributed one really important thing to this entire experience. Sin. Good job, brothers. That's us. As we consider our relationship with God, we bring nothing but a pile of brokenness, a pile of hurt, a pile of sin. We are bad, God is good. We are guilty, God is innocent. We rightly deserve to die for what we have done, and God is just in punishing us, but God in Christ has shown us mercy. And He's actually gone beyond. Justice beyond mercy, and he has shown us grace. And his grace is amazing that the Son of God would take on human flesh and come and be treated like an imposter, just as Joseph was. And as Joseph died, and I mean, Joseph faithfully suffered, Jesus willingly comes and suffers, he he chooses to suffer. His grace is amazing, and as we go before God, there are many of us who believe, probably like Joseph's brothers, do that God must hate us for what we've done. He must just man. He just want to hurt us. Wants to kill us. Wants to punish us, and we forget the cross, where Jesus shows us just how much He desires to love us. Did you know at the end of the story? Joseph's brothers don't believe after being shown grace and mercy and brought into Egypt, the whole family, when Jacob the dad dies, they're like, oh, here we go. We're going to get it now. Jacob's dead. I know Joseph's just been waiting for him to die. Now he's going to punish us. They don't believe. They they can't... Who would show that much grace? That's exactly how we approach God. We come to Him with our brokenness and our sin, our mistakes, things we've done, and, and God just says, will you just believe that I love you? Would you just believe me that I, that I forgive you? Well, not that. Yes, that! Would you just believe that I actually want to be with you so much I would send my Son to die for you so that I could fix the relationship that you ruined? See, God wants more than just a redo. And that is why I believe He allowed, because it wasn't a surprise to Him, for men to fall. He wants us to experience a greater depth of relationship that we may have never experienced had that brokenness never come. You would never grasp the grace of God had you not come face to face with your sin. And I will close with a verse that talks about the power of God to reconcile us and to do it all for us. And uses that word reconcile over and over and over again, giving us not only comfort, but also direction for our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, says this, If anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has passed away. The hurt that we have committed. The hurt that we have experienced. The guilt that we have. The shame that we have. The old is gone. The new has come. Verse 18, all of this is from God. Moral of the story God does it all. God does it all. God does it all. God does it all. God does it all in Christ for us. We must only believe. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the sins against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors to Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so I implore you on this morning to be reconciled with your God. He does not ask you anything because guess what? Anything you have, he didn't want it. He simply asks for you to believe, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died the death you deserve for your sin. To believe in your heart God raised him to the dead. He gives you not just, oh, a better life. No, a brand new one. A brand new life. And come to the table. My wife was at the women's worship night on Friday. Friday, And she told me just a conversation she had about the communion table. And it was so in our church, so I'm not making this up. Like, I just want to take credit for it. But what she talked about was how she viewed the table. Remember that friend that I, that I told you that, that I was in a broken relationship with or felt like it was broken, pit my stomach, wanting to escape. I saw them. I eventually pressed into that pain, sat down, and, and we were reconciled. But before that happened, I never would have sat down for a meal with him. I wouldn't even have sat down with a cup of coffee. But do you realize that God sets the table for us? Knowing what we've done, knowing who we are, and he says, Come, feast. I forgive you. I want to be in relationship with you. But you don't know what I did this week or last week or way back up. Yeah, I do. And I want to be with you. Be reconciled with your God because your God wants to be reconciled with you, and it comes through faith in Jesus. Let's pray.